Do we together today desire a fresh encounter with the living God who is our hope? Amen? All right, well, let's, let's look at some Scripture together. Uh, and it's in John chapter 1. So John chapter 1, you all know how John chapter 1 starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. At the end of John chapter 1, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so it's verse 43 through 51. I'll read it. Here we go. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael. I love how right away Jesus found Philip, but then Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now listen to what Nathanael says in verse 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asks right away, How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. While you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you, and then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, he has a little bit of a change of heart, right? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Church, Nathanael had a surprising encounter. We just read about it. A surprising encounter with Jesus with his friend Philip at his side. It was an encounter that led to him becoming a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Are you ready for an encounter with Jesus, church? If so, can you say amen? amen. All right, and you may be seated. All right. I have a question for you as we begin. A question and a story. Did you ever need God to show up in your life in a tangible way? Church, anybody with me? I was in Ethiopia uh, last year on a solo trip. And on the last day of the trip, my two friends, my two Ethiopian friends, David and Freyu, they asked me a question. They said, do you have Telegram? And I said, well, guys, we used to, but in America, in the world, we have this thing called the Internet. And they said, no, it's, uh, it, it's an app. It's an app called Telegram. <laughs> and uh, it's a great platform to share pictures and communicate. And I was like, well, no, I don't have that. And uh, later, fast forward to that evening, they took me to the airport. It was, the time, it was time for me to fly home. So they took me to the airport there in Addis Ababa, and I was, I was, uh, we, we said our farewells in the parking lot. And then I went up to the airport and, uh, you know, dragging my luggage and went through security, and there's lots of security checkpoints in that airport. So I passed through the first one, went upstairs, and I uh, was getting ready to go through the next security checkpoint and check in. And I patted that place in my pocket where my cell phone usually is, and I realized I didn't have my cell phone. So I searched my, you know, the rest of my person, my belongings, and I realized I didn't have it. So I went backwards through security. That's, that's fun. And, uh, and uh, so 
They asked me a handful of questions as I'm going backwards through security, but I ended up walking back out into the Ethiopian night, into the parking lot, and immediately I'm surrounded by uh, taxi drivers asking me if I need a taxi, and I am trying to tell them, and only a handful of them seem to understand my English, uh, that, uh, no, I don't need a taxi. And so I realized what had happened is I had left my cell phone on the front seat of my friend David's car, and as we were, you know, as we were saying our farewells, I had just left it there. By the way, if you follow me around in life, that kind of thing happens to me all the time. So I realized, and I'm lobbing up this Hail Mary prayer to Jesus. You ever been there? I'm realizing, you know, I could probably get home without my phone, but I'm going to be silent for the next 24 hours. My wife won't know what's going on, and and what a hassle. So I'm praying, Lord Jesus, help me. As soon as I get done praying, a man walks up to me. He's another taxi driver, and he says, taxi? And I said, Actually, I don't need a taxi. I need my cell phone. And he was like, I, I don't know what to say. And, and what happened? He was curious. And I said, well, uh, my friends dropped me off. And I left my cell phone on the front seat of their car. They drove away. And I went into the airport. I realized I don't have my cell phone. He was like, no problem. No problem. Just give me their number and I'll call them. And, uh, and then they'll come and bring your cell phone. I said, I, I, don't, I don't know their number uh, he said, that's no problem, no problem. Just, just give me their address, and I'm a taxi driver. I will take you to them. You'll get your cell phone. And I said, I don't know their address. And I think at that moment, the man started praying because he said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I said, yes, I need Jesus Christ. And he said, do you have Telegram? And I said, why does people keep on asking me that? <laughs> And I was like, wait, wait, yes, I mean, no, but my friend does, my friend does, and he's, so he had Telegram on his phone, and so he pulls it out, he found my friend on Telegram, there was actually dozens and dozens and dozens of them, but he found the right one, he contacted him, got his number, called him, my friend picked up the phone, came back to the airport, gave me my cell phone, and this man and I, he, he hung around, he said, I don't want to leave you until your friend gets back. I hugged him, I thanked him, we mar- he told me he was a Christian, and we marveled together about how Jesus shows up in our lives. And as, we, uh, as, we, as I thanked him, and as he, as he went away, I went back to the airport thanking God that Jesus is with me in my smallest trouble and in the biggest trouble, amen? All right, and you know what? Um, I want to ask you this morning, what happens when we encounter Jesus? What happens when we encounter Jesus? In the text that we read, Nathaniel was, he was, uh, Jesus saw Nathaniel when he was still under the fig tree. What happened in that moment under the fig tree? We, we're not told in the scripture, but it, it almost invites speculation. It makes you want to speculate. Did, did he have Maybe a fig tree that grew over his home as a little boy. And Jesus is saying, I saw you, Nathaniel, when you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Was there maybe some moment of, of trauma under the fig tree in Nathaniel's life? Or some moment of deceit? Or some moment of despair or loneliness under the fig tree? Was there a prayer uttered from a broken heart within Nathaniel under this fig tree? Whatever it was, Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you when you were still under the fig tree, Nathaniel. 
And that made such a profound impression on Nathaniel that he went from saying, come on, can anything good come out of Nazareth to making this powerful declaration, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. Jesus saw Nathaniel, and if I could be so bold, church, that's our first point for today. Jesus has always seen you, and he sees you today. Jesus has always seen you, and he sees you today. I see my friend Don up here on the front row. Don, Jesus has always seen you, and he sees you today. You know, I'd like to jump a few chapters forward in John's gospel. So that's John 1. Uh, If you're familiar with John's gospel at all, I mean, it's a beautiful gospel. And in John chapter 2, we see Jesus' first miracle where he keeps the party going, right? And he turns the water into wine. John chapter 3, what happens? He has this nighttime encounter with Nicodemus. And then in John chapter 4, I want to just take a look a little bit at the story of Jesus in Samaria talking to this woman at a well. And Jesus has what is the longest recorded conversation in the, in the pages of the New Testament. And it's with this woman at a well in Samaria. And as the conversation starts, there's, there's skepticism, there's doubt, there's banter, there's disbelief. But all that changes. And after this longer conversation that this woman has with Jesus at the well, she goes running back into her town, saying the same thing that Philip said to Nathaniel. She says, come and see, come and see. What made her have this incredible evangelistic spirit to be able to rush back to a town where if you read between the lines and the text, she was somewhat of an outcast and to be able to, 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 to say to her, the people of her town, come and see. Look at verse 28 and 29. We'll have them on the screen. John 4 28 and 29, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done, everything I ever did. And she adds this question, could he be the Messiah? What's fascinating about her encounter with Jesus is he doesn't show, at least in the text, any judgment or criticism about her situation. He simply offers her his presence as he lingers there with questions And he offers her life. There doesn't seem to be any apparent judgment in Jesus that she's had five husbands. You remember that story? She says she's had, he says she's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now isn't her husband. But you don't get any sense explicitly or implicitly in the text that Jesus is there to lecture her. The whole point for Jesus is he wants this woman to understand that she is seen. She is seen. This woman is seen by Jesus. He has always seen her and sees her in this moment. And can I say to you, church, can I say to you today, he has always seen you. He's always seen you. And he sees you today, wherever you've been, whatever you've faced, whatever you've endured, wherever you have been in your life, he has always seen you and he sees you right now. He sees you right now where you are. So back to the woman at the well, John 4.25, she says to Jesus, this is still in the midst of their conversation. She's like, look, I, I want to say things are challenging. While we know we have our differences, we also know that someday the Messiah called Christ is going to come and he's going to explain everything. Someday, she says, the Christ will come and he's going to explain everything. And Jesus says, how convenient. He didn't actually say that, but he said, he said, I that am speaking to you, I am he. What's a powerful moment. It's almost a call back to that 
to that moment when Moses asked God's name and he said, I am, right? And at that moment, she leaves her water jug and goes back to her community and leaves, and she listened to her twofold message. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And here's the crux of the whole thing. And I can't get beyond this one little detail. When, the, when this woman encounters Jesus, what's the one thing that changes her life? What's the one thing that turns her life upside down? When she goes back to her village, what is it she says? Come see a man. Come, I want you to meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. That's the hinge point. That's the place That's the thing that changes her life. That's the thing that enabled her to start having this deep and abiding faith in Jesus and this evangelistic spirit. It's not a mature faith yet. That's one of the things I think that's so sweet about it. She had this effective, really incredibly powerful testimony, and yet the only thing she said was, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And that's our second point today. What does it mean to encounter Jesus together? In Jesus, we encounter the God who knows us. Did he really tell her everything she ever did? It didn't seem like that, but that's what she came away with because she felt and she saw and she understood. He knows me. What's, what's remarkable in this mo- one moment is that Jesus has done something so incredible. He's transformed her identity And the very basis of this revelation is that she believes that he knows her. This woman believes that he knows her. Church, Jesus knows you. All of your sin, all of your struggle, and can I say, at the exact same moment, all of your promise, all of your potential, he knows you. He knows you. How important is it to us that we are known? We've been doing communion in a new way, right? In part, because we want to encounter Jesus together. And when we do, we aren't anonymous. We aren't nameless. We are known. On staff, we've been having some some great conversations along these lines. And one person in particular, Jess Rufel, has really helped us by shedding some light on things for us, not only in the arena of ministry that she serves in and leads in, but for all of us, the importance of belonging, the importance, well, She's here. I've invited Jess to come on up, and she'll share with us how important it is for us to be known. Jess leads our uh, high school student ministries here at Living Word, leads Fusion, and she's going to give us a little more perspective. Jess, thank you. I love young people. I mean, I I do love other people too, but I I especially love young people. Um, Middle schoolers and high schoolers are some of my favorite people. And I I spend a lot of time um, thinking about, reading about, and praying about how to help them to encounter Jesus, to fall in love with him, and to grow as his disciples. One thing that I have learned is that researchers are calling this generation of young people around ages 12 to 25, the loneliest generation. Many of them are deeply lonely, isolated, and stressed. Even those that are involved in sports and in clubs and even here in our student ministries. And the thing that's making the biggest difference in combating this persistent loneliness 
is to help them experience a sense of belonging. What we're seeing is that belonging does not automatically mean, sorry, that participation does not automatically mean belonging. What is required is the development of welcoming, supportive, authentic, vulnerable relationships. And for young people, especially relationships with trusted adults. So thinking about my own life and having these conversations with other staff members, um, what I'm seeing is that it's really not just young people. It's all of us. We all long for this sense of belonging and to be in relationships that are supportive and authentic and vulnerable. The desire for belonging is a foundational human experience. Springtide Research Institute suggests that the way to true belonging is for us to be noticed, named, and known. Being noticed or seen is so powerful. When we are noticed, our presence is acknowledged, and it's the starting point toward a sense of belonging because it creates this space that's needed for us to begin that process of being known. And then building on that foundation of being noticed is being named. Our name is a part of who we are and being called by our name sparks an immediate connection with someone. It shows us in a very simple way that we're important to someone. It builds trust and it encourages us to share more of our lives. And that leads to the process of being known. When we feel truly safe in a relationship or in a community, when we are loved and accepted without reservation, when we can share, then we can share ourselves with others, our true selves. And that is when we experience the belonging that we desire. And here is the great news. God sees you, God knows your name. He knows the real you and best yet, he loves you and wants to be known by you. Thank you, Jess. Let's put our hands together for Jess Rufel. Jess, thank you so much. We all need to be known and we wanna be a church where each of us, each of us, is seen and known. And that's the one, that's one of the most powerful reasons behind why we want to encounter Jesus together. Here's what's pulsating in me right now. I think it's the thing that we hunger for the most. I think it's the thing that we hunger and thirst for more than anything else. I mean, everybody thinks that they want a certain kind of God, right? A certain kind of God who's going to show up and is going to fix everything for them and make everything just right. And by the way, one day Jesus, Scripture tells us, will put everything right. But what does it mean for this woman in John 4 who's going to have this powerful proclamation about Jesus. The hinge point for her, and not just for her, but the people that she goes and tells, and the hinge point for us is I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. The God you're really searching for, church. The God that you are really hungering and thirsting for, even if you didn't see this before, 
is simply the God who fully and completely knows you. The Samaritan woman didn't know how desperately she needed to be known until she met Jesus. We don't know how lost we are. We don't know how lonely we really were until we find out there's a God who knows us completely and yet he loves us completely. In Jesus, this woman encountered a God who had seen her, who knew where she, knew where she had been, understood the places and ways that her heart had been devastated, understood the traumas, comprehended the pain and despair that she had experienced, a God who'd seen what she'd been through, knew her present condition and the practical burden of the moment, a God who knew her and yet only offered love and life to her. We go looking for things, don't we? For people that we think will satisfy and Jesus says, I see you and I know you, I love you. And I offer you life. I know who you are. When you become convinced, church, when we become convinced that we are known, seen and known and loved by Jesus, it unlocks everything else. Everything. Not only does he know your sin and struggles and mine, he knows our potential and our incredible promise. Let's, let's go back to where we started in John chapter 1. Let's go back to that text where we looked at Nathaniel. What was the hinge point for him? It was all about being seen and known by Jesus. He said to Jesus, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you, Nathaniel. When you were still under the fig tree. And it made such a profound impression on Nathaniel that he experienced immediate transformation and went from saying, can anything good come from there? to making this powerful declaration about Jesus as king and as the son of God. Nathaniel encountered Jesus, and in that moment he discovered that he was seen and known. Let's, let's turn to the Psalms for a minute. This may be a familiar psalm for you. If you've never read Psalm 139, I want to encourage you to, after today or, or after the message later today, open up Psalm 139 and just read and pray over these verses with the Lord. But I'm going to put it on screen. And there's six verses, but I'm going to read the first one two or three times. And I want to just kind of dwell there and let us all absorb this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Can you read that with me? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. One more time. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That moment, if you, just a little while ago, when we laid our hands on Aaron and Gail when they were up here, the Lord has his hand on you. And he knows you. Okay, if I, uh, I want to share something just uh, personal here, and then I've got a few application points maybe for us as implications as we, as we walk out of here today. And personally, <clears throat> when I read and reflect on the story of Nathaniel, it reverberates around my soul with some familiarity because when I was 20 years old, I mean, that's just a few years ago, I encountered, I encountered Jesus, I think, I think, from my vantage point, it was for the first time. And like Nathaniel, under the fig tree, I had my own under a tree moment. I can, 
I can't share all the details right now, but I can say that I grew up knowing about Jesus, but I, I wasn't following him. Until that day when I found myself in despair and confusion and walking out in a beautiful forest in the mid-state here of Pennsylvania, and I fell to my knees at the base of a large, mature tree, I think it was a sycamore, and I met God. I met the God we know in Jesus Christ who sees us and who knows us. And the rest of my life has been characterized by the phrase, come and see. Because when you realize you are seen and known and loved and you receive life from this God, the only natural response is to live out this words, these words of Philip, which were actually an echo of Jesus' words earlier in John 1. Come and see. The words of this woman at the well. Come and see. Church, what would it be like if we were characterized by, as, as a people who, were, who realized we are seen and known by God, that as a church, we would go out of this place saying, come and see. And what was behind that, the, the, the spirit and the motivation and the, the revelation behind that is we were a people, we are a people who realize we are seen and, lo- and known and loved by God. And so our only natural response is come and see. Last Sunday, our student life ministry had a night of worship, and I've been told of extraordinary testimonies given by three of our students. In 2024, three of our students standing up and in midst of all the complexities of, of, of young people have to face today, giving a beautiful uh, testimony of encountering Jesus in the midst of all of that. And church, let me just say to you, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, it doesn't matter how many husbands you've had or haven't had, it doesn't matter uh, what happened under the fig tree in your life, if you, if you can uh, allow me to say that. The God that we know in Jesus knows you and me, He sees us, He knows us, and we come away different, we come away different because of Jesus. So a final point, Jesus invites you and me to see and to know the people around us for the sake of his kingdom. You know, isn't that the natural thing? If he's going to see us and know us to the degree that we know he is, and that's to the uttermost, don't you think Jesus now invites us into this type of a culture where we see the people around us, where we know the people around us? So let me, uh, let me ask, how do we do this? If we have a Savior who sees and knows us, how can we do the same thing? First, we need to just realize on a daily basis, we are seen and known. Amen? And then we can let that unlock us as a congregation, and it will. It will. Because we'll begin seeing and knowing the people around us. Uh, one, of the, one of the young women who shared her testimony this past Sunday at the Fusion uh, Night of Worship, she said, she, she, asked, uh, she, she told about how she started listening to worship music at night, and that one little change brought an incredible change into her life. Can I suggest you start listening to worship music just to remind yourself that you're seen and known by Jesus, church. By way of application, can I recommend that you get around God's people and that you try to be here whenever you can, that you get here so that you can be seen and that you can be known by these people and so that you can start to see and know these people around you. Am I alone here, church? Church, am I alone? Hey, we've got to get here. We've got to get here so we can be seen and known and so that we can see and know the people around us. Hey, don't ask for permission to do this in your neighborhood. Just start this week. 
Just, just take out a piece of paper and draw just the most simple map of your neighborhood. Just, just start drawing the boxes for the houses. Do you know the names that go in those boxes? Do you know the names of the people around you? If you don't know the names, hey, just go get them. Just go get them. Set, set a goal over the next two or three months that you're going you're gonna to learn those names. Once you know those names, those people are going to be noticed and named. And sooner or later, there's going to be knowing that's happening. Look, Find creative ways to be under those fig trees and by those wells. There are people all around us aching to be seen and known by Jesus. And lastly, be an illuminator. Be an illuminator. I was sent a, a really provocative, a really interesting uh, and thought-provoking video this week. It was by an author, David Brooks, and he was speaking at an event. And he was talking about the difference between diminishers and illuminators. Do I have your attention? Diminishers and illuminators. He had my attention. He said, sometimes I leave a party or a gathering of people and I realized the whole time I was there, nobody asked me a question. He said only about 30% of the people uh, in, our, in our culture ask questions of the people around them and are persistently curious of the people around them. And those people that ask questions, they are illuminators. The other 70% might be perfectly nice people, but they don't ask questions. They are diminishers. You know, we're often strangers to each other, church. In any, in any group of people, there are diminishers and there are illuminators, David Brooks said. Diminishers aren't curious about other people. They, they tend to stereotype and ignore people. They don't ask questions, while illuminators, on the other hand, he said, are curious about you. They make you feel special and lit up. Do you know somebody like that? Are, are you endeavoring to be uh, an illuminator? The last thing he said, and I love this, he said there was a novelist that lived about 100 years ago named Ian Foster. And the biographer of Ian Foster said this about about him. He said, to speak to him was to be seduced by an inverse charisma, a sense of being listened to with such intensity that you had to be your most honest, sharpest, and best self. Who wouldn't want to bring that out in other people? Let's be illuminators for the kingdom of God. Let's go from this place, being curious about people, asking questions. Church, we have quite a history and a heritage, do we not, at Living Word? We really do, and we thank God for it. But the church we see going forward is a church where we encounter Jesus together. Amen? How should you respond today? How should you respond? Friends, right where you're at, just in case you were, you were curious, Jesus sees you. Does he know what's happening in your life? Yeah, he's seen you, and he's always seen you, and he sees you today, and he knows you. All your struggles, all your promise, all your potential. And he loves you and has life for you. There's only one thing left to say. Come and see. Come and see. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that in Jesus, as we encounter him, Lord, we have this this penetrating gaze that looks back into our past, our present, knows our future. Thank you, Jesus, that you see us and that you see us now. Lord, I pray there would be nobody in this room or listening online that would, that would think that they're excluded from that. You see us and you know us. 
Thank you for your life and for your love. Lord, may we realize today afresh as we encounter Jesus together that as a people who are seen and known, we can go from this place into all our places saying, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He's the Messiah. Pray all this in Jesus' name.